Well, the Lord is so good. If you have your Bibles open this morning, and I'm going to start in Romans chapter 13, and I'm going all over the place. We've been dealing with this subject called triggered, and the, the concept behind it is there are certain things that are triggers that cause you to act in certain ways. Certain things push your buttons, okay? And what we want to do is we want to respond in the correct way. So the first week I dealt with offense, that we don't want to be offended when certain things trigger us. And that was a, uh, that got in our junk drawer. Then the next week I dealt with jealousy, and that got way down in the junk drawer. <laughs> and this week I'm going to deal with strife. And I've never preached, I've never preached single sermons on jealousy and strife before, I don't think, in my life. So it's like, wow. But I've had a lot of response from people and how these are ministering to people and uh, helping you. Um, helping you with your life. Amen? Because that's, that's pastoral work, isn't it? Let's get into the Bible and see how the Bible applies to our lives and see how we're changed as we look into the mirror of the Word. Amen? We're changed from glory to glory as we look into His Word and allow it to be applied to our lives, right? So I appreciate you guys being here uh, this morning. Next week is Father's Day. And uh, I hope you guys come out and celebrate the fathers next week and Take dad out to lunch or do something, right? And uh, just have a good time with it. I've been traveling a lot, and I appreciate y'all praying for me. And uh, this has been kind of a camp meeting season, and uh, I've been able to be with a lot of our a lot of our Pentecostal Holiness brothers and sisters in the different conferences in Oklahoma and Georgia. And uh, we've had some. Was with Dr. Beecham this week in Georgia preaching a camp meeting, and just had great great response. I got to spend some time with. Uh, Emmanuel College students on Friday night and opened the floor up and they began asking me questions and it got interesting. It got really interesting, but I was so blessed and so honored and humbled to do that. So, uh, amen, amen. Y'all pray for me this week. I'm in Montana tomorrow and I'm going to be in a tent, all right? Outdoors preaching in tent meetings, so y'all pray for me and uh, uh, yeah. I'll think about y'all when I'm looking at the Rocky Mountains. You know, I went to Ecuador a few years ago with some of the guys in the church. And by the way, that church that we support, supported in Ecuador, they've built that thing. They built that thing. And they're dedicating it uh, March of next year. We're all going to try to go down, some of us, and be part of the dedication. And they changed the name of their church to uh, Fountain of Life. They did. They changed the name of their church. So we have a fountain of life in Otavalo, Ecuador at 10,000 feet in elevation. You know what we are in elevation here? Okay. I went to Ecuador, and I was, I was uh, you know, if you have an iPhone, it has, a, uh, it has an elevation app on it. So I was getting on the elevation app, and it's like 10,000 feet in, Ecuador, in, uh, in Quito and then 10,000 feet in Otavalo, and I got to Camden. And I was in my kitchen, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look on this elevation app in my kitchen. You know what it was? Yep. It was zero. I was like, we're slam level with the ocean here, amen? So uh, I see Marvin and Nancy Waller back there. Hey, guys. These are some of our friends from Chesapeake. Love y'all. Praise the Lord. Good, good seeing you. You look good, man. You always look good, though, right? Y'all both look good. Amen. We love them. They were part of our church in Chesapeake. So, yeah, you're at zero sea level here. So, 
if you want to go hiking, I love to hike. And down here, you got you to gotta, you gotta work for it. But I did go to Gates County the other day, to the park in Gates County. And there were, it was hilly in there. And I'm like, what? Come on, man. So I put a pack on and hiked eight miles and had a great time. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but maybe you need to know that. Amen? Let's look at Romans chapter 13, verse 11. I just noticed this the other day, and I'm, I, by the way, I'm not preaching this against any person. I'm not preaching this. I, I've been working on this. This has been on my heart for a while now, but uh, I know sometimes, I, I preached one time years ago, and I preached on offense or something, and uh, one of the church members was walking out the door, and the guy pulled me aside, and he said, have you been talking to my brother? I said, no, I don't even know your brother. I could sworn you're just talking to my brother because this message, I said, well, if the shoe fits, wear it, but I'm not preaching it at you specifically. I'm, we're preaching generally, all right? Okay, praise the Lord. So don't think, well, Hans must have been stalking my Facebook to preach this message. I, I'm not, believe me. If he, uh, Romans, I've been preaching in Ephesians. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this knowing the time. The term here in Greek is kairos. Do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What do you think he's talking about here? I think he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Because he's talking about the kairos of God. He's talking about the timing and then the salvation that we're almost, almost, ready, almost ready to see. And I don't think he's talking about that born-again experience, but he's talking about the final salvation when he comes and it's all complete, okay? So I think he's talking about the coming of the Lord. So in light of the coming and in the light of the end, then he gives instructions. He said, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, because the day is coming, because the night is far spent, because our salvation is near, Therefore, if you see a therefore, you need to stop and ask why it's therefore. <laughs> therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now that the Lord is coming and that his, his coming is near, then let us do some things. Let us get active. Let us get in action here. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. And we know walking, he's not just talking about physically walking, he's talking about that Hebrew rabbinic concept of halakha, which is the way and manner in which you conduct your life. Okay, he says in some points, walk circumspectly. Walk, walk knowing uh, what's going on all around you and walk uh, as, a, as a witness before the Lord. So walk properly as in the day. And now he gives us how not to walk and he classifies three groupings of two words. And this is what I want to get to this morning. He says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Those go together, partying and being drunk. So he's saying, let's not live like that. Let's not live that party life. Why? Because that might put us in a stupor and we're, we'll do things that we're not um, conscious of doing. And we'll do things that will not be pleasing to the Lord when he comes. So let's not live that life. 
Then he says, nor in lewdness and lust. Then he gets into the whole sexual sins. Let's not be living in that life either. Those things that will pull us away from the Lord, living in uh, lust and in sexual immorality. So not the party life, not the sexually immoral life. And the last grouping is where I want to get to. And not in strife and envy. And not in, don't live the partying life. Don't live the sexually immoral life. And don't be fighting and bickering and jealous of one another. He, he throws that in with the revelry and drunkenness and lust and lasciviousness. Jealousy and fighting and bickering with one another. Okay, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. These are the fruits of the Spirit and the, and the fruits of the flesh, right? Galatians chapter 5 and verse, 20, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Okay, so I want you to know that hatred and contentions and jealousies are thrown in this list, which is strife. Okay. And then he says in verse 21, it's really powerful. He says, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelers, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going. You say, yeah, but Brother Hans, that's not, that's not grace. No, it's very much grace. But no, he's talking to the lost. No, he's writing to the churches of Galatia. But this is to the lost in the churches. No, it's not. It's a circular letter to be read aloud to the Christian believers. In fact, in the early church, they didn't allow lost people into the services. You could only come in after you had been through catechism and baptism. You had a separate meeting. So it's written to Christian people. And he said, these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Those people who are practicing strife and envy and selfish ambition. Not going. Well, I know that flies in the face of this, this saturation of grace teaching we have today. And I believe in grace. Grace is amazing. But I think we've uh, misinterpreted grace as grace being license. And grace is not license to sin. Grace is an empowerment to live holy. Grace is an empowerment to live holy. And so we've just kind of chalked everything up to grace and taken no personal responsibility anymore. And I just don't like that type of preaching. I won't, I, hey, we're all here by grace. My gosh. We wouldn't have a chance in anything to get saved. I couldn't, as one man said, getting saved on our own effort would be like me building a, 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 a sand ladder to heaven. It, it wouldn't, there's no way that's going to happen. But once you are born again by the grace of God, then live according to the grace of God. Okay, so what is strife? Strife is quarreling, wrangling, contentions, debates, bickering, arguing, heated disagreements, angry undercurrents. It comes literally from a term that means sharpening. It's the sharpening of feelings. It's inciting, having sharp contentions. 
And the Bible warns against strife and rebukes those who operate in strife. Notice these verses, Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Strife is always accompanied by pride and an unteachable spirit. Proverbs 13.10, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So pride brings strife. Pride brings these contentions. God hates it. Bible says in James 4.1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? When people are dissatisfied, they tend to cause trouble. Think about how easy it is to be resentful and stir up strife when you don't get what you want. That's jealousy. And you can get critical of others really quick, but it's not other people or circumstances that make you unsatisfied. It's your lack of trust in the Lord to provide for you what is best. It's really a lack of trust, and it's, a, it's an action on pride. Second thing is God hates strife because strife destroys unity. Strife destroys unity. Unity was so important to Jesus that in the garden prayer in John chapter 17, he prays these words. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be as one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, and that they might be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and you love me as you, you love them as you have loved me. He's praying here for unity. And he's praying that people would see in the disciples a unity and then they would believe in the message that they're bringing because of the lifestyle they see in the disciples. God hates strife because it's the opposite of love. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all miracles and knowledge, and though I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be... You can do all these works. But unless you have love, it really amounts to nothing because the motivation is important. And strife destroys that and works against that motivation. Love is the key thing. God hates strife because strife confuses the world that's watching the church. Because Jesus said the world will know us by the love we have for each other. And if the world sees us and all we do is fight and bicker and have church splits, then the world is confused. And the world wants no part of that, believe me. I was in it one time. I'm still in the world, but I'm not of the world. Strife confuses the watching world. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. God hates strife because strife injures younger Christians. Too often the behavior of established church members drives away those who are starting on their Christian journey. Because they see people bicker 
and argue and fight and have mean spirits in church, and that will drive away a lost person quicker than anything, faster than we can preach them in. Amen? Get the strife. Come on, I'm, I'm putting you in a hole to get you out of this hole. Come on, get the strife out. Get it out of your life. Get that spirit out of your life. God hates strife because strife is a sign of worldliness and carnality. It's a sign of the worldliness. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What Paul is saying is the demand is greater on us. The demand is greater on us as believers. We shouldn't act like that. And he's straight up rebuking and upbraiding the church in Corinth. And then finally, God hates strife because strife takes our eye off the ball of winning the lost and performing the Great Commission. Strife is a distraction. It comes to distract us and take us away from the true mission, which is go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. As I've, as I've been sent into the world, so I'm sending you. All these commissionings of Jesus, that's, that's the main line. The main line is we go to Otavalo and build a church. Come on. The main line is we send missionaries to Asia. The main line is we win our community to Christ. The main, the, that's the main thing. A distraction is fighting and bickering and arguing. Do you feel good yet? I'm going to give you three steps to eliminate strife from your life. Come on, say it. I'm eliminating strife from my life. Hallelujah. Number one, consider your friends. Consider your friends. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs eleven thirty, 30. Where who, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Proverbs 22.24 Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs 26.4 I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. This is Paul talking to the church. Avoid them. Watch who you're listening to and who you're talking to, and who pulls you in to conversation. Because there are people who want to pull you in to their anger, or pull you in to their jealousy, or pull you in to their fight mentality. Because some people are just going to fight all the time. If there's not some kind of stirring going, they're not satisfied. I don't understand that, but some people, unless there's something happening, they're just, they're not alive. They're just living. Some people live for a dissension, a dispute, a fight. Stay away from those people. Shut them down in your life. What if they're family? Well, you got to get around your family at Thanksgiving. Pray hard 
and just shut down those conversations. I, I've been in a lot of conversations that people start with me and I'll just be like, And after a while, they see you're not going to take the bait. And they'll just kind of walk on to someone else who will take that bait of dissension and strife because they want to get into it. Listen, this destroys marriages. This is serious stuff. I could preach Holy Ghost this morning. We could shout, but I'm preaching how to live right, okay? This destroys marriages. You want to fight, don't fight. Don't get into it. Some people live to fight with their spouse. Get up every morning looking for a fight. Why did you leave the toothpaste on the counter like that? Why did you not lock the door when you left the house? Why didn't you trim the bushes when you left? Why did you leave dirty laundry on the floor? Shut up. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Help me out here. Just shut up. How about love somebody? Love your spouse and work through these things together because if you live like that, you're going to destroy that marriage, man. You're going to break it down. No one wants to live like that. No one wants to get up and dread waking up in the morning and looking at you. <laughs> oh, well. Watch who you hang around with. The people you hang around with can pull you down into this. Notice the life of Samson. I thought about this. You know, I preached on... The judges, and we called it unlikely heroes a while back. But I was amazed at Samson's life because as you read through the book of Judges, the judges get worse. They start off pretty good, but then they get morally and ethically worse by the end. So point being made, even the judges didn't work. God raised up kings, and guess what? Even the kings didn't work. God had to send a Messiah. But anyhow, if you notice the life of Samson, Samson is born and he's dedicated as a Nazarite. They said not one, one hair of his head shall be cut with a razor. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's not to drink alcohol. A Nazarite couldn't even eat grapes. He's to keep himself pure. He's to keep himself holy. And as long as he did that, the, the power of God was in him. And he could do great exploits. But listen, one day he comes to his dad. And he demands his dad go and get him a wife of the Philistines. I mean, I'm seeing smackdown. But the dad didn't do that. But he went and demanded his dad go get this lady he had seen of the Philistines. Dude, you're a Nazarite. You're not supposed to be living like that. But he wanted her. Then, chapter 14 of Judges, he doesn't even, he walks through a vineyard. Not even supposed to be near it because he's a Nazarite. He walks through it. Also in chapter 14, he goes up to a dead carcass. And maybe you haven't noticed this before. He's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to be around dead things. He's not supposed to touch dead things. Then in chapter 14, he goes down among the Philistines and throws a big keg party. And invites all them to come. And how does his life end? His life ends with the final victory, but it's in a sad state. His life ends with him being blinded, having his strength taken away from him. Delilah got it out of him. And then in the end, God does give him grace to win a victory in the end, but he dies in the meantime. So his association, something in him, had to be around the wrong people. And I don't know, man. Uh, my family always taught me, if you run with dogs, you'll catch fleas. So just 
Watch who you're hanging around. Sure, we're friends with all kinds of people, Christian, non-Christian alike. You should be. You should be able to witness to people and have people in your life. But watch who speaks into you and watch who pulls you in to their stuff. Can somebody say amen? Second way to eliminate strife is you must guard your heart. You must guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart. In Hebrew, it's not talking about the literal heart. It's talking about the center of a man's spiritual being. The center of his person. Where the thoughts, the emotions uh, lie. It's, it's the soul of man. Keep your soul with all diligence. Watch what you allow to come into your soul. Because what you allow into your soul can infect how you think, infect how you act. The mind, the will, the emotions. Amen? The term guard in Hebrew means to watch over and defend as if you were defending a vineyard. So when you're around someone who is negative, guard your heart. Because if you are pulled into that, you will become like those people you hang around. Misery loves company. Boy, is that ever true. Misery loves company. Miserable people go searching for someone to sympathize with them and to pull them down in that. And miserable people often are just drama queens. They want all the attention because they're narcissistic. And it's all about them anyhow. Golly, this is... I'm trying to help. I'm, help. I'm preaching to Hans this morning, all right? I'm not preaching to any one person. I'm preaching to all people. <laughs> but mis misery loves company. So misery goes and seeks to attach itself to someone who will be a listening ear. Don't do it, man. Do not give yourself into that. Guard your heart. Get into the Word. Let the Word become how you think. Find your identity in the Bible. Find your identity. You don't need your identity found in somebody else. You, listen, I, I preached this uh, Friday night, and I've preached it here in times past. Our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is found in Christ. Yes, you are. Maybe you have a certain profession. Maybe you come from a certain background. We all have an ethnic and, and ba a background we come from. Maybe you come from a certain socio socioeconomic strata. You have a certain education. You have certain hobbies and all, and all that's good. But that's not your primary identity. Your primary identity is you've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Your primary identity is you've been adopted into the family of God and now made a partaker of the life of the kingdom of God. Your primary identity is you've been redeemed from the curse. You've been bought with a price and God has pulled you into the blessings of the kingdom. Your primary identity is you have an inheritance now. In heaven and you have an inheritance now, God is your inheritance just like the Levites of the Old Testament. Your primary identity is you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is your primary identity now. And once we figure that out, we won't have to go searching for someone to tell us who we are. Because we figured it out. I know who I am. I am a son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of the kingdom. Hallelujah. I'm an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's called me. Man didn't call me. Man didn't hire me. Man can't fire that's your calling that's your assignment in this life and as long as you realize that when someone comes and tries to pull you in and it starts feeling good 
when they pull you into their garbage, it kind of feels good to the flesh. Well, resist it and get away from it, man. Guard your heart with all diligence. Let your thoughts be pure. Let your heart be pure. Stay away from the revelry and drunkenness. Stay away from the lust and lasciviousness. Stay away from the envy and strife. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going I'm to tell something here. Maybe I shouldn't, but we're just on national television. I had a person years ago in my life who made a statement to me one day. And I don't even look for these things, but when they made that statement, the thought came, they're jealous. They're jealous of something that happened to me. And I thought, what? Then Hans kicks in, no, surely they're not jealous. They ended up giving me so much grief and becoming a super problem in the church. I'm talking a super problem. And I knew it one day when I was sitting with them and I heard this person is jealous of something that happened to you. That's envy. Envy is when you want something you don't have that somebody else has. It's always sin. Always sin. You know, so y'all know I studied seven years at the Catholics. So often I go look in Catholic theology when I preach something. So I went to the medieval theologians and looked at this. And in Catholic theology, strife is a mortal sin. You go to hell for it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You go to hell. I'm going to say it to this crowd over here, this church. I'm going to tell you. In Catholic theology, to mystic theology, Thomas Aquinas, you go straight to hell. You don't pass go. You don't collect $200. The only way out of it is confession course to a priest or whatever and go through penance just thought you'd like to know that there are some things that are venial sins some things are mortal sins in the catholic church we don't have that distinction but nonetheless thomas aquinas was very smart just think about it third thing getting you out of strife and destroying that spirit of strife in your life is to follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men. Holiness without no man shall see the Lord, Hebrews says. Follow peace with all men. You are called to peace. That doesn't mean you're a, you're a pacifier. It doesn't mean you don't speak, speak truth. It doesn't mean you don't stand up for your rights. It doesn't mean you let people run over you. I'm not talking about that. But you are called to the peace of God in your life. That is your calling. God is calling you to live a life of peace. You're a man of peace or you're a woman of peace. It's what distinguishes one of the many things that distinguishes a Christian from the world. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the strife makers. I'm sorry. I'm reading a different version. <laughs> Blessed are those that gossip on the phone. Blessed are those that split churches and destroy families. No, Jesus said, blessed are the 
peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. For they shall be called the sons of God. Romans 14, 19. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Paul said, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Admonish you and esteem them very highly in, the, in love for their work's sakes. Be at peace among yourselves. The capacity to get along is, is, is really closely tied to spiritual maturity in the Bible. The capacity and ability to get along is tied to spiritual maturity in the Bible. James 3.17 But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 Here are the qualifications of a bishop, the episkopos. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop... He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. Not quarrelsome and covetous. We've had so much leadership teaching and so much of it has been good, but I think we've exalted the idea of a ramrod CEO as a Christian leader. And I want to get back to a biblical perspective of a Christian leader. A man or a woman who's gentle, who doesn't like to quarrel and fight, who lives a holy life, who's blameless and seeks the face of God, who is immersed in the Word of God, has a good family, lives at peace with men. Come on somebody, shout hallelujah. This is what God has called you to. He's called you to peace. He's called you out of the life of strife. He's called you to shut it down in your life and let these, if somebody triggers you, you're like, sorry, I'm not taking it today. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. And somebody calls you up, you know what, you know what your sister did? And immediately you think, what did she do? (laughs) You need to realize what's happening. You're being sucked in. It's like... You're being sucked in, man. You're being sucked. Don't get suckered. (laughs) Don't get suckered. I was down in Georgia last week, and it was at, no, I was in Oklahoma two weeks ago, and one of my friends was telling me there's a town that has a sucker festival. It's a small town in, in Oklahoma that has a sucker festival. And he thought, what is this? Is y'all like hand out suckers or? He said, no. There was a guy came here years ago and he was like a traveling salesman and he suckered everybody in the town. And we learned such a lesson. Every year we have a sucker festival to celebrate that great historic event. <laughs> that we ain't going to be suckered no more. Hallelujah. Come on, how many can raise your hand and say, I'm not going to be suckered or pulled into people's drama. I'm not going to be suckered or pulled into their stuff, man. 
pray for them, counsel them, speak truth to them, love them dearly, but don't get suckered. <laughs> don't get pulled in to that drama. God has called you to live at peace. He's called you to have an amazing family. He's called you to have an amazing marriage. He's called you to live a godly life. He's called you to be the man or woman of peace when you walk into a situation. He's called you to be the wisdom in the room. He's called you to be the one who can speak the word of God to any situation. He's called you and poured the Holy Spirit into you so you have the words to say even when you don't know what to say that God can drop that into your spirit and, and if you have all this strife in you it clouds that and confuses that voice in you that wants to minister to people because Satan uses it as a, like a cobweb you ever just run into a cobweb I, the spiders love one door in my house I mean it's like that's our door and so if I, I, and I don't go through that door a lot, it's in my garage, but sometimes I'll just walk in and be like, <laughs> you walk into this, and then you, that's what the strife is, right? It's you just, pam, and then you can't, you can't minister out of a pure heart, and you can't minister out of peace because you're so racked and, and amped up with all the drama going on. Get rid of it in the name of Jesus. Come on, just get rid of it. Break that spirit in your life. Break that spirit down in your life and let God have control. Come on, stand with me this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Anybody, do you feel set free now? It was like we went to the doctor this morning. <laughs> we all took a shot here or something, but we're going to feel better after a while. Come on, raise your hand with me. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I, I repent for getting sucked into drama and strife in the past in my life. I repent of it, Lord. God, I thank you for the truth that's been revealed to us this morning from Scripture. Lord, I just read a bunch of Scripture up here. And there's so much there about it. There's so much more about it. We just drop it right now. We drop it and we receive your forgiveness. We receive your peace. We receive your grace in the name of Jesus. And Lord, give us, give us that determination to refuse to be drawn in to the strife because strife kills it destroys and we thank you for that freedom right now in Jesus name we thank you for the freedom of God right now in Jesus name bless my brothers and sisters here Lord bless them and encourage them in the name of Jesus help them to live strife free lives because they're going to be tested they're going to be situations they're going to be family issues and work issues and church issues but God I pray they learn right now how to walk in peace. Be that man or woman of peace in every situation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Oh, hallelujah, we give you thanks. Thank you so much for listening today, watching with us, opening your heart to the Word of God. It's my highest honor to preach the Word. Our church exists to reach people like you. That's why we exist, to be able to communicate the gospel to the entire world. God has given us such an amazing outreach here to be able to do it this way through the internet and stuff. It's just, it's just absolutely amazing. So I pray that God has touched you today, that God has ministered to you, and I want to pray for you right now. If you need to accept the Lord into your heart, give your life to Jesus, or if you need healing in your body or healing in your mind, I want to pray for you right now. Could you join with me? Come on, just make this declaration. Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and my Savior. 
I repent of all sin and I commit my life to you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, if you need healing, stretch out your hand. Father, for those who need a healing touch, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you heal them body and mind and touch them right now. We rebuke the disease and sickness that it's afflicting their body. And I pray for a complete wholeness. Come over them in the name of Jesus. And we give you thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, give him praise right where you are. Thank God for everything he's done in your life. Tell somebody what the Lord has done for you. We love you guys, and it's a privilege to come to you.